is just like such a small thing, but I think the ramifications of everything is actually, they're quite large and can have like profound effects on an entire generation. Like why are we the most connected ever, you know, as a society, but why are we also at the same time, like the loneliest generation? And I don't know why, but it just sparked something inside of me of just like, yeah, because you show up every day and it's who you are and it's what you believe in. And it's not authentic. It's just who you are. It's your consistent presence. Everyone really has that opportunity to have a voice and to have a say in things. And it's pretty amazing. It's, it really is incredible. I think about that all the time, but I'm just like, this is so cool that we can be connected in this in these ways and that we can use things that are happening in everyday life to share and make people feel like they're not alone. And also, of course, like to use our creativity. You know, people say blogging is dying or blogging is dead, but I, I feel like it's still really just the beginning. Hi, I'm Michelle, an entrepreneur and creative business coach. Hi, I'm Steve, and I'm a social media and digital content strategist. We're friends with a shared passion for creativity in all its forms. Through this podcast, you'll find ideas to help up your game and share experiences with a community of creatives who understand what it's like to work and create in the digital world. If the episode you're about to hear sparks something inside you, share your voice by connecting with us on social media, at Pod4Creatives on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If anyone's listening to this in chronological order, they may have taken notice that three of the last four episodes have been conversations with creatives, with guests. And I was thinking that if I was a listener, that I would begin to speculate that maybe we're like in a fight or something. You know, like sometimes in like TV shows when actors aren't getting along, they'll like have scenes that aren't written together or... Mm -hmm. You think we're in a fight? I don't think we're in a fight. I just wanted to clear the air that we're not. <laughs> well, how do you know this? I mean, you don't know what I'm thinking. I mean, maybe you said something or maybe you sent me, you know, one of your texts that had a little bit of a attitude towards You're it. You're saying maybe I, am har- I sent you a text with an attitude? I'm just saying maybe I'm harboring a grudge. And that's why I've been so interested in promoting the the guest angle of a podcast oh. for creators. Well, we may have to talk about this off air and clear this up if we are indeed in a fight and I didn't even realize it. No, of course not. We're just we're just on a roll with some really creative people that we've been fortunate enough to get to talk to. And um, why not share that? Right. Yeah. And I feel like the the last few guests that we have had on, we've gotten such a great response to. And I think not only that, but like you and I have been really excited to have these conversations with creatives. And um, I think each of us have like a little mental list of more people that we'd like to bring on. So we figure we just keep keep asking. And it's it's awesome when people say yes, especially like our guest that we have on tonight, who is known if you follow her on Instagram and Twitter as just at Carly. Carly Heitlinger is a longtime blogger. She blogs under under the name Carly the Prepster. She is a multi-passionate creative. She says that she's not so much of a creative person, but I think that she is for sure. She posts about a variety of topics, but all under her really strong brands. And in this conversation, she really opens up and shares her thoughts, not just about the subject matter that she blogs about and shares about but really social media like as a whole and I felt like this was such a good gauging discussion about social and and health and where we're going yeah absolutely we we really hope you guys enjoy this as much as we did getting the chance to record this for Carly so Carly you've been blogging for a long time you started when you were in college Yes, I started my freshman year in 2008. So this December will be 11 years. Wow. What uh, did you start at your first semester or your second semester? At the end of my first semester, I frankly just like hated school and was desperate for a creative outlet. And I had almost dropped out of school, actually. So 
I just was like not feeling it. It wasn't working for me. And I was like lamenting, sorry, That's with okay. some of my friends um, while studying for exams. And one of my friends, grandma and mom were blogging for the Washington Post. He was like, you should start a blog. But it was like very early days in like the blogging world. And I don't even really know what compelled me, but I went home that Christmas break and just started my blog. And what was the first platform you worked on? I was on Blogger and I was actually on Blogger for eight years, I think. I only kind of recently switched to WordPress. Um, I'm like a big believer of not making financial choices until you absolutely have to. And Blogger was free and doing like doing fine work for me, you know, and then it got to a point where I was like, okay, it's time to make the switch. So as someone who's been a blogger for a really long time, what do you feel like you have liked most about the evolution of blogging in your 11 years? I think the fact that it's just so accessible to everyone. um, And it's really democratized in that way that as long as you have access to a computer, like you don't even have to have your own computer. You you can go to a a library and do it. Anyone can start a blog. You can do it from your phone and like that kind of power and being able to like have that voice and create your own platform, whether or not people are reading it, you know, that's kind of amazing that it's out there for someone to read it. And I feel like as like social media has involved, has evolved, it's only gotten more, accessible and maybe you don't need to have a full blog but you're tweeting about something relevant or you're you know you create a YouTube channel that you're just filming with your iPhone like everyone really has that opportunity to have a voice and to have a say in things and it's pretty amazing it's it really is incredible I think about that all the time that I'm just like this is so cool that we can be connected in this in these ways and that we can use our you know, just things that are happening in everyday life to share and make people feel like they're not alone. And also, of course, like to use our creativity. So yeah, I've also loved explosion of, you know, people say blogging is dying or blogging is dead. But I, I feel like it's still really just the beginning. If you think of it as more from a more holistic perspective. I completely agree. I think if anything, it helps kind of weed things out. So it's not necessarily that it's dying, but I think the type and quality and consistency and kind of all those things that fall under like the quality category, the bar just keeps getting higher. And it's not necessarily that it's dying, but it's that, you know, if you want to be in the arena, you kind of have to be rising to a certain level. And Steve, I know you have I know you have opinions on this. It's funny because you could almost put anything in front of is dead and you could probably win an argument. But the fallacy in the argument is, is that something like blogging gets overrun by everybody has a blog, just like everybody has a podcast now. So the quality in general decreases and it doesn't provide value to people. So then the assumption is, well, it's dead. And that's not really true if you know your audience's expectations and you're providing, you're continuously providing them value, uh, you know, it's, there's a, there's a, we use this analogy of like Groupon and living, uh, what was living? So what, what was it? Yeah, yeah. Where it was like, it was the greatest thing ever when it first came out. And then all of a sudden you started getting these, these offers for things that like, okay, I don't really need to go rock climbing. Like, why am I getting rock climbing offers? Right. And then, you know, then you're kind of stuck with like, well, this is trash. It's not meeting my interests anymore. So it's really not that it was bad. It's just stopped meeting your general interests. You, on yeah. the other hand, like are, are much more audience centric with your stuff. I think a really relevant example right now is people saying like, okay, TV is dead and people are cutting the cord, which technically, yes, that's happening. But what you're seeing is that people are basically plugging themselves into different outlets. <laughs> they cut one cord and now they're signed up for Disney Plus and Hulu and Amazon and Netflix. And the reason why they're signed up for so many things is because that's where the quality content is. You know, you, everyone's watching or watched Orange is the New Black. Everyone's watching Stranger Things. Everyone's watching Handmaid's Tale it's not that TV's dying. It's just that it's switched to this new platform, but it's really the same thing. And better. It's the evolution. Yeah, yeah. right, right. 
so like it's an interesting transition because so many of those those shows are so niche and and everyone's interests and in, in general have become very specific and very niche what we found interesting is is that you cover a variety of topics in in your writing and you know books and fashion needlepoint like <laughs> it's it's interesting that the the broad scope of what you what you write about has such a general interest because everything is so specifically focused today so how do you manage and how do you maintain a strong brand when you're multi-passionate um, so I, I would say, even though it seems like I do cover multiple niches, ultimately my niche is myself and what I'm interested in. And like anyone in the world, like I have multiple interests and I, so I give a lot of blogging advice and I like, am a big believer that people shouldn't pay right now. There's a huge, um, movement to, for these people to be like coaches and they have absolutely zero skills or training, but all of a sudden they're selling these like $495 courses, which is really just like an email newsletter scam. And then they have, you know, people under them and it's just an, a different type of MLM. I'm like, I can just tell you exactly what you need to know. Like there, there is no secret, you know, what do you want to know? And I'll tell you. And one of the like first things that I say to people is you need to be specific because you really do have to know what you're covering and know who your audience is, but you can't be so specific that you completely run out of things to say. So like a great exercise that I tell everyone to do is you don't have to write all the posts, but come up with 50 blog post ideas before you get started or before you commit to a niche, because you know, if you get to 14 and you just simply cannot come up with more ideas, you're too narrow. If you get to 50 in four minutes and the 50 things are all over the place and there's no common thread whatsoever, you're too broad. So 50 is kind of this like, I kind of arbitrarily chose it, but it kind of proves itself to be worthwhile in that it's going to help you make sure that you have something to blog about. 50, if you do one blog post a week, that gets you to almost a year's worth of posts. And probably in that year, you'll have more things to say. But, you know, there is a sweet spot of being niche without being too broad, without being too myopic in what you're t talking about. So these are all lessons learned in the process. Did you face any hurdles early on starting with, you know, starting off with these types of like barriers or feelings or just, you know, I mean, I had really no strategy when I started. Um, I was simply, simply, simply writing a blog for myself. It was going to be something that I did that wasn't going to be graded by a professor. I wasn't going to have a coach critiquing me. I wasn't, I didn't realize people were going to read it even. So I was just like, okay, what am I going to write about? And I got kind of lucky, I guess, in that I really was writing about whatever came to mind and whatever interested me at the moment. And, you know, 11 years later, I'm still able to do that. And the great thing about that is like, I have evolved as a person, which means my content is going to evolve with me. And that keeps things interesting, too, because it's not like something happens like overnight. It's a gradual change, like going from I was a teenager when I started my blog and I'm in my 30s you know, barely, but I just started now, like what was important to me when I was 19 and what's important to me when I'm 30 doesn't mean that one's right or wrong. It's just that natural evolution and ultimately tells like the kind of the best story you can tell it because it's truly my life. Do you enjoy going back and looking at your old stuff and like, I mean, you, you have a diary, you have a documentation of your life for the last 11 years. To be honest, it's like terrifying. So I really try to avoid going back and rereading old posts because like it's kind of cringeworthy to me. And sometimes like obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. So sometimes I go back and read old posts. And I'm like, oh my <laughs> God, like you're so dumb. Why did you do that? Why did you hang out with that person? Like, why did you think that was a good idea? And unfortunately, it's like anyone can go back through my archives and I've only had to delete one post. Um, and I've pretty much been blogging every day since the very, very beginning. Um, so like every day of my 20s is documented on my blog, an entire decade of my life. 
and it sounds cool, but it's also very scary at the same time. Yeah, we've we've got a couple years on you, or at least I do. I don't let Michelle forget it either. <laughs> and I always say, so like Facebook came out at the end of my senior year of college. And I always say that I am so grateful that I kind of like dodged the bullet and that there's no social media records of anything that I did in college. And I think, Steve, we were even trying to like, because we went to college together, we were trying to like pull up old photos of like something and we're like, we just don't have them. We have no photos from college unless you want to like find printed ones and scan them in. So I joined Facebook my sophomore year of high school and I keep getting these like 14 year Facebook memory now and (laughs) that's another level of crazy I'm always like untag delete yeah why did I add that status I'm like what's (laughs) happening (laughs) I was not as funny as I thought I was (laughs) when everything remember it was like Carly Heitlinger is yeah but because they changed the format like the status updates make no sense just starts out with is yeah it's so stupid yeah do you have people that's followed you from the beginning that have kind of grown up with you, if you will? Yes, people have absolutely grown up with me, which I think is amazing. But like an interesting thing for me is that when I started blogging, I had this like really big group of younger girls following me. And they were like prolific followers. They were always commenting and like sending me emails. And I always like found it very sweet and were Facebook friends. And so I kind of have like kept up with them throughout the years, not necessarily that I'm like following them on Instagram or anything, but you kind of just see these like little Facebook moments here and there. And this one girl who probably was like my youngest follower of all time, she sent me an email when she was 12 and this was like eight years ago. So I was in college still, I think. And it was like the sweetest email that she had like dressed up for me, like for Halloween and the email was like in curls MT or, you know, comic sans size 16 <laughs> font. It was like a green background with hot pink writing. It's like the sweetest thing. And like, I will never forget that email because I just thought it was like adorable. And now she's married and like, it's that to me is crazy just to see like even my followers grow up in a little way, um, which is kind of cool. It sounds very similar to like friends of mine who are teachers kind of saying that, that like, you know, my, like my sister-in-law has said this, like, oh, her, like her first year of students are now, you know, going to college and like how mind blowing that was. Cause you, you kind of like put them in, in a time capsule and think that they are always going to stay that age when you knew them. And I mean, it's like, these are people that I probably would like never cross paths with. And that's like funny and interesting, but they're, you know, she still DMs me and shares like life moments that way. And she knows that I, like, I've talked about her before, you know, on various things, just cause it was like so adorable and she's embarrassed by it, but I think it's like <laughs> so sweet. And she'll just send me DMs being like, Oh, you know, my husband and I are doing this and that. And I just think it's adorable. <laughs> so cute. So do you feel like since you've grown, do you feel like it's harder to make those kind of connections now that you have such a large audience? I, I wouldn't say this, it's that it's harder, but I'm definitely more protective. I think at the beginning, I just like really didn't understand the scope or even like the longevity of what I was doing. And it felt so in the moment. And now that I've been doing it for so long, I see the more ramifications of it. Um, and there's it's like a pro and con to blogging. People feel like they're your best friend and they feel like they know you so well. And so I've had to kind of channel my inner Brene Brown and set like very clear boundaries on, yes, it seems like you know me and like, yes, it seems like you've been along my life, you know, along with me for my life, but I actually don't know you. And even though it seems like we might be best friends, like you're not my best friend. Like I don't even know your last name with that in mind. I'm definitely more protective. Um, and I'm like totally down always. Like if you see me out and about, like I will always stop and like say hi to someone or like, I'll take a photo. I'm probably not going to like go grab dinner with that person, (laughs) but I try to keep the boundaries because it, 
it's strange when someone comes up to you and I know that they know like all these big things in my life and I know absolutely nothing about them. So it's like the balance isn't quite there. It's a weird thing because it's such a new thing. Even though we can say like, okay, blogging has existed for, I don't know, like officially how long it's existed for. But I think that bloggers and and online influencers are still trying to figure out the best way to handle it or to deal with your feelings about it, you know? I mean, I used to be really open and part of that was like fewer people were reading it. I didn't fully grasp the fact that this would like turn into my career. And now that I'm chin deep in it, I don't share everything that's going on in my life. I'm like very protective of my friends who aren't in like the online world and like really respect people's privacy in my life who don't want to be included on the blog because it's not just, you're not, they're not just a part of my life in that scope. Like if I were to include them, I'm opening them up to this whole can of worms, which some people love it and some people hate it. And I just try to be like really respectful of that. But in the process, parts of my life, big parts of my life, I choose not to share. (laughs) I think that's healthy. (laughs) When I keep, it helps me keep, a balance of feeling like, okay, what I do online is just my job. And like, this is how I make money. And yeah, I do share like a quite a bit of my life, but most of my life is actually offline, like a reg- regular person. <laughs> Was there a turning point for you when you kind of made that switch where maybe with a smaller audience at, at the start, you were more willing to, to offer up a little bit more? It was definitely gradual. Um, and I think like every time a new social media platform got added, I had to reevaluate like what I was actually going to share. And I might not, I'm not sitting there like in a boardroom writing it on a whiteboard, like pros and cons, what goes into the share, what goes into the not share, but like doing a constant gut check subconsciously. I think the rise of Snapchat was a big moment for me of realizing you could pretty much screencast your entire life on Snapchat and you feel like it's going to disappear in 24 hours. So I think there's like a little bit of recklessness that could come with that. And on the flip side of that, I saw it as much more of something to be like, wait, this is actually like something I need to be super protective over because on my blog, I'm only writing once a day. I can super tailor that. Usually it's like more of a fluffy thing with like some life component added in, but Snapchat felt super, super invasive. And that forced me to, it, I actually just mostly felt uncomfortable sharing certain things with in that way. Uh, and now it's all on Instagram stories and it's the same thing. And again, having it tied to my business helps because some of my life just isn't really shouldn't be shared with the public for a business perspective anyway. It's interesting that, you know, you highlight Snapchat because I'm curious if on certain social platforms you are or have been more comfortable with sharing certain things than maybe on others or maybe because of the way the platform is pigeoned that or pigeonholed rather that you are a little bit more comfortable sharing certain things. Do you find that or is it just more of a blanket approach? I don't know if this was something I could or could not agree with, but I do agree with that, that I am different on different platforms because when I'm writing my blog posts, it is purely typed. And when things are written out, you lose some of that like personal context that comes from hearing someone. Whereas on Instagram story, I'm able to add my another two additional layers of context. Like one, you get to see my face if I'm like, say doing like a selfie video, but you're also hearing my voice and you can hear sarcasm. You can hear if I'm hurt or sad or like frustrated by something more than you could in words. And so I think it allows another level of vulnerability on Instagram stories, which I absolutely leverage for like a positive thing. And for some reason I'm like much more I'm much more inclined to go on Instagram stories without makeup, like in a robe with my hair in a towel. I forget that, you know, 200,000 people are seeing it, but (laughs) like, I'm much more inclined to do that than on my blog. Like I would very, I don't think I would ever upload like a professional photo where like I didn't have my hair and makeup done. Why do you think that? 
I have no idea. Probably <laughs> never thought about it until right now, but it just seems like not the right platform, I guess. Like that yeah. content doesn't belong on my blog. But for some reason, this 24-hour Instagram story seems totally fine to do that. Yeah. It's it's so weird. I was thinking about this two days ago because I was talking about I was talking with one of my like good friends from high school and we don't we don't talk that often, but we're just kind of like catching up and she's saying like, you know, how is everything like she follows me on social media, but like she doesn't really post on social media. So like she's seeing everything that I'm doing and she's seeing my business. She's a teacher. I, I'm not in her classroom, peering into the, the classroom all day and seeing how she's interacting with her students. Right. So I, I've like said this in the past that it makes me more uncomfortable that like people in my personal life follow me than people, you know, who are following me for like for I, business reasons. A thousand percent. Agree. <laughs> we just like moved to a neighborhood and like all of my neighbors follow us. Oh, I hate like, that. <laughs> I don't hate it like it's nice and I like appreciate it because I think they're doing it from like a supportive perspective and I really try not to overthink about it because I'm like they I've never been into anyone's house but like they know what how I just decorated our master bedroom they know (laughs) what brand of window cleaner I just bought they know like where my dogs sit during the day and I it's I don't care if a stranger knows. (laughs) And for some reason, I don't even, I like bothers me sometimes that like my parents read my blog. Cause I'm like, uh, you know, my mom, I read this in your blog post. It's kind of like, well, it wasn't really for you, but I, it's not like I'm going to gatekeep my own blog from like people in my life, but I definitely feel uncomfortable with it. And I don't know why I'm okay with like complete strangers knowing all this. (laughs) Yeah, no, totally feel the same way. I guess it was like people that, you know, you're like almost forced to look your look at yourself in the mirror whereas like with strangers it's just kind of like into the abyss more mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah see I wish I was a little bit more like that I overthink things way too much <laughs> something goes on at work and you want to just sort of like take to your social platform because I'm known I mean you're known for certain traits and qualities and who you are Michelle's known for that I'm known for that in our own circles but like something happens at work and you want to be like Son of a, you know, and, and just kind of go off for a second. And you're like, no, that one person might see that. I can't do that. Like you, there's, yeah. there's something that just holds you back. So I think there's something really cool about just having that attitude of like, not that it's like, you know, I'm going to intentionally do something to inflict harm, but just like, nope, this is, this is what this is built for. And this is what I do. And these are how these two things match. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely censor myself for the people in my life, because even though I'm signing up for it, like no one else is. And so I would never like blast my boyfriend on my blog. I would never want to say something that like my mom did that annoyed me. One, they can't defend themselves. It's like Mm. word against theirs. Um, and I, I am not a psychologist and this is like total like armchair diagnosis, but sometimes it like alarms me when I see people who are so public on Facebook and Instagram. I mean, we all have friends that are not even like bloggers or influencers who are like oversharing to just an absolute cringeworthy level. And you're like, something else is going on that this is where they're choosing to vent. Like it's almost like breaking a social norm at this point. And it's not a, an anonymous Tumblr page, you know, from like an angsty 14 year old. This is like your friends and family are reading this. There's something not quite right. Yeah. It's this passive aggressive, you know, mindset. We've had this conversation before on the podcast. I'm curious of of your take on this. Do you think people are different on social than they are in real life? Or do you feel like it just amplifies social amplifies who they are in real life? I think it depends. Like I have met people in person where I'm like, you could not be more different than the person you put out there. And then you meet some people where you're like, oh my God, you are exactly the same. (laughs) And it's, I find it refreshing when you meet someone and they're exactly the same, which probably means that most people aren't the same or you're not getting like the full picture. And it can be hard if like, depending on what type of content they're putting out there, you know, like is their niche talking specifically about just a 
you know, work thing or like an industry specific thing. And you're only getting this like super serious side of that person. You're going to miss out on like the fact that they can, you know, hang out at a bar on a Saturday, like watching football with the best of them. Yeah. Um, but I went to a conference a couple weeks ago in Nashville and I'm not even like, it was a creative camp. I'm not like the most creative person in, you know, out there. Like I have to flex my creative muscle. It doesn't come naturally to me, but I really like following this one woman on Instagram and I'm like kind of obsessed with her, like in a girl crush kind of way. And when I met her, I was like, you, I was like so excited. <laughs> she was exactly the same. Like she didn't Photoshop herself. She looked exactly how she looked and she dressed exactly how she dressed. And there were like no surprises. And I thought that was like amazing that she kind of had lived up to this idea that I, I had built based on her social media presence. Do you feel like you consume content or interact with other influencers who you're not friends with in a different way? Yeah. But I do it like I try to keep how I am like through my platforms as my public persona and like it's mm-hmm. representing my brand. But like I definitely have an Instagram where like I watch other people's stuff, just not from like an at Carly perspective. And like I love consuming content. And I really believe that consuming content is like 80% of creativity. And I like to know like what other people are doing and not that I'm like coming up with ideas based on that, but I, you're just getting like more perspectives and even if something little can trigger something else, like I watch a lot of YouTube videos, like a lot. I follow people on Instagram who just couldn't be more different than I am or like in a different industry or, you know, doing different things. And so I definitely consume content and like have respect for a lot of people and I know what it's like to be an influencer and I, so I can respect like really hard work when I see it. And I also watch people who I just think are, you know, cheating their way through and I just keep an eye on on what's going on. Like a train wreck. The train wreck thing like actually gives me anxiety. Like I, I, I have to look away. I don't want to watch it because it, it like, makes me sad and uncomfortable and I'm always like where is this person's mom or best friend like someone needs to come and confiscate the phone and then I can't continue (laughs) but like you know it's the person who's going from like a hundred thousand followers to five hundred thousand overnight and you're like yeah I just like you know like see what's going on in the industry what kind of things people are up to (laughs) do you have um if you don't mind sharing or you would like to share, who are your like favorite YouTubers or YouTube subject matter that you enjoy uh, watching? So one, I'm obsessed with Casey Neistat. Oh yeah. He's awesome. <laughs> met him once. It was truly like the greatest day, like top five greatest days of my life. I felt like I had manifested the meeting. It was like super random because every time I go to, went to, he doesn't live in New York anymore, but every time I went to New York, I would like look for him. And I happened to run into him on Nantucket of all places. And he like borrowed my drone battery. And I, it was amazing. Wow. A year later, we spoke on at a school's like career day together. Like we just have like randomly crossed paths. And I, I just think he's a super gifted filmmaker and I think he's gotten a lot of credit and I don't think he's gotten nearly enough for like actually what he does. Um, I love him. And then I'm like really into watching like teen and content. Like what are like the teenagers doing? Not in like a creepy way. I'm just fascinated by like a generation that is growing up with iPhones from like Mm. the time that they, you know, fourth grade they're like on i on instagram and stuff and i'm like this is this is different do you feel like you still have teens who are in your audience or do you feel like they're mostly like your age ish funny like i for a long time i just assumed i had a much younger audience and then i ended up doing like a really big personal audit on like all my platforms and all my social channels and it was a much higher 
older demographic than I anticipated. Like it's basically my age, like 25 to 35. And it actually made me like reconsider what I was vlogging about because there's a big difference in my opinion between like 18 and 25. And I try to keep things like super PG anyway, because I don't really want like my opinions a lot of times like documented online and like held against me later down, you know, later in down the road. Um, but it definitely made me like reconsider and I've done like most of my audiences in their late twenties and we're all kind of in this stage of life together. And it's different than being like 18 versus 22 where like you're starting college or like you're entering, entering the real world. Like it doesn't really matter if you're 25 or 30, like a lot of people are finding themselves like in that same life stage. So I found that like the age different doesn't matter age difference doesn't matter as much as it did five or six years ago for me. Like take some of the pressure off where like, you don't feel like I'm in that kind of role model role anymore. Mm. Okay. So we, we touched on this a bit already, but social media, specifically Instagram. I mean, I'm saying that because I feel like I, I know Instagram the best is where I hang out the most, but it seems to demand that we show just like that perfect combination of having beautiful aesthetics, but also being vulnerable. So what are your thoughts on that? On like trying to maintain this balance, or do you think that we shouldn't be trying to maintain that this balance and just do one or the other? I think it's almost like a catch 22. Um, I would say 98% of the time when I see a post that's like quote unquote vulnerable, it's actually a thousand percent contrived. And I completely agree. And it annoys me so much. I hate yeah. to say. It's actually not <laughs> vulnerability. It's more of the same. And how they portray the vulnerability is so manufactured that it's not authentic. And if you have to think about being vulnerable then you're not being authentic and the like the most it's so dumb but like to me I am so concerned frankly about like what the world is like or what you know social media is doing to to humankind um, I think there's a ton of positives and I think the risk on the other side of it is that it can cause serious issues and I see it in like subtle things. So it's more, it's like less about being authentic and more about being not fake. And there are just practices that I do because I think it's important. Like I will not Photoshop my body. I will not add a filter to make me tan. I, not that I'm against it from like a, personal perspective but as like a public influencer I will not like get Botox without disclosing it which I haven't done it but like there's just this fine line between like being who you really are and then forcing this like authentic uh it becomes a trite thing at the end of the day if you're like not really careful about it and so I actually choose to do be authentic and choices that I make more than just like making this like grand Instagram post statement type thing. Like it's not about jumping on a hashtag bandwagon to get more followers. It's not about like posting a quote unquote unphotoshopped photo of yourself, like in a bikini with stretch marks and saying that you love your body. Like there's so much more to it than just forcing the, this vulnerability. And like, there's not, there's, it's more of an art than a science. Like I don't have like a specific answer for it, but you, I w am always blown away. Like every time I do an Instagram story without my, without wearing makeup, which frankly, unless I'm shooting with my photographer, which I only do twice a week, or if I'm doing like something that's, I have to go to an event or go to a meeting. Like I just don't wear makeup. Um, and people are always like, Oh my God, you're so brave to do an Instagram story without <laughs> makeup or without a filter. Like, We've Your bar for bravery point. is very low. <laughs> yeah, we've gotten to the point where, like, that's actually considered brave. But what does that mean for the rest of the time? And I'm like, ah, it, like, this is crazy. Yeah. And it's not about, like, I've done it before, but 
and I, it really was authentic in the moment, but it's not about like getting online and like sharing like some sob story. It's not about like posting this one Instagram one time. I think it's like making these choices over and over again and trying to be an example of like what I want to see more people doing. Like I don't get a spray tan and it's because I have fallen victim, like scrolling through Instagram and seeing that every single influencer, every single one either adds a filter to make themselves look tanner or they're covering themselves in self tanner and are now orange or they're like somehow covering up this. And I'm like, but this is actually who I am. And I scroll through Instagram feeling like terrible about my own skin. And this is just like how I am. Let me be that example of like, yeah, you can have like gray hair and you can have a wrinkle on your forehead and you can have pale skin and the world's not going to end and you can be completely comfortable and confident and you don't have to like self tan or you don't have to get Botox or you don't have to dye your hair. Like it's a choice, but it's not the only choice, you know? So that's I, how I try to be authentic. It's just being like, this is who I am. I saw a tweet a couple of weeks ago from um, Adam Pierno and we had him on, on the podcast a while back and he said, uh, replace the word authentic with consistent. And I don't know why, but it just sparked something inside of me of just like, yeah, because you show up every day and it's who you are and it's what you believe in. And it's not authentic. It's just who you are. It's your consistent presence. And look, like there, it may be authentic to someone else to dye their hair like crazy colors every week and to really experiment and express themselves through makeup or to wear like crazy clothes, that may be someone else's authentic self. So I guess when I'm like sharing these examples, it's like really not to say that there's like one set rule. But for me, those things are not me. And I doing that would feel so fake. And like, I've been doing this for 11 years, it would be an absolute identity crisis if I had created some fake persona for myself 11 years ago and felt the pressure to keep that up or, and regardless of what had happened in the past 11 years, waking up every morning and knowing, you know, when you go to bed tomorrow, I'm still going to have to like fake this or having to switch on and off being like, okay, well now I'm doing Instagram. Like now I'm not, now I'm doing my real life. Now I'm not. And having to switch between those two things, like that's, it's exhausting. And in the consistency boat, it's not sustainable. Yeah. You can't. And I think people see right through that when you see like influencers flip flopping and like I have good friends who in person I love and I like absolutely cannot follow them on Instagram because they flip flop between what's trendy now. And I'm like, you, you have, if you're going to commit to it, like you have to commit and but flip-flopping every six months just because that's what's in and that's what's getting likes on Instagram. It's like, well, who are you at the end of the day? And like, you know, you've been, it's a lie. Yeah. And it's been I've like lost my trust. Yeah. It's been two weeks. I'm already tired of the okay boomer phase. I'm just, we're, we're done with this now. Like I can't, Oh, this whole, this, this whole thing about, um, uh, from the millennial standpoint, like anytime that, uh, somebody from the, the, the baby boomer, generation like says something about well millennials are always like the the, the common response yeah, the, the last two weeks have been like okay boomer yeah and now it's just like it, it seems like it's everywhere and i'm just i'm done with yeah. it so i get that you talked about health um a second ago and one of the questions that that we were kind of wondering is there's a there's a physical aspect there's a mental aspect um how do you stay healthy when your job is to have this online presence and and be um, you know, relatively active on a daily basis for your audience? I would say 80% of the time now in my life, I'm good. 10% of the time I'm okay. And the other 10% of the time I lose my mind. Um, five years ago, it was more like reversed where most of the time I was losing my mind. And a big part of that was like not having the right boundaries in place. Um, And that's not just like in terms of what I'm sharing outwardly, but like, what am I allowing into my psyche and into my world? And like 
clearing people off the Instagram list and like only finding people following people that like I find inspiring or I get something positive from like I cannot follow people on Instagram who complain all the time because that gets into my head and I'm like all for like a quick vent here or there but like I don't want to see you like standing in an airport like having a meltdown for the 15th time in the of the year um so that helps like I don't let it onto my feed I like avoid it um I got really into meditation which helped me a lot um just in my life in general but I think it's really helped with this like inner voice and kind of learning not necessarily to quiet it but to kind of separate it from who I am and also knowing the difference between constructive criticism and just hate and I do my very best. It's not always like, it's sometimes just not possible. It finds its way in, but like just to avoid the hate altogether and to hear constructive criticism, but it doesn't necessarily mean that like, it's something I absolutely have to implement. And that helped me. It was just like another boundary, basically putting up being like, just because someone has an idea or a suggestion doesn't mean it's like the right thing to do. And most of the time, like people just don't know the back end of it and it's not their responsibility to know the back end of it. And it's my responsibility to be like, yes, this is actually something like what that person said was true. And that's happened before in the past. And other times it's like, I hear what that person is saying, but it, it doesn't actually apply to what I'm trying to do. Unfortunately, it's like, I basically am kind of in like a customer service industry at the end of the day. And Part of that is like just letting people voice their concerns, even if you have no intention of implementing it and being able to be like, I hear you. Thank you. Next. Yeah. Again, such a like bizarre thing. I can't think of a person in my personal life who would just kind of like volunteer to give unsolicited advice regularly. So whenever I see that come in online, I'm like, who are you? Like, where is this coming from? It's very strange. I think a lot, sometimes people are coming at it from like a good perspective. And other times I think people are coming at it from a very straightforward, they're looking at it from one angle and that one angle is like their own personal view on things. And frankly, a lot of these people just have no idea what they're talking about from like a business perspective, a marketing perspective, an industry perspective, they're consumer. Consumers don't always know the right thing to do. Like sometimes you need it to leave it to like R and D to figure it out. <laughs> I always, I always think it comes down to attention. You know, the, you're you're searching for for some type of response, acknowledgement, right? Yeah. That like, oh, this person, you know, that that she responded to me or she, you know, like, and it, and it gives you this this hit, but it's not oh, necessarily think- being done productively. I would like love to sit down with Instagram because I think like they really are trying to tackle some of the problems that they've created, like getting rid of likes, I think is smart. Mm -hmm. I think something that's like really overlooked and I don't even know if people understand like how dangerous it is, but this idea of like a direct message is great in theory. It can be used negatively. And I, I don't even think people understand like what they're doing. Like when they're sending me a message, it's, basically like sending me a text message and for some reason like social norms like don't apply to a dm between a stranger and me that if a friend did this to me i would be like what is wrong with you like why did you just send me 50 like text messages in a row like but it's coming in nonstop on my phone and instagram only just implemented like a restrict this account thing and like I just have people who they mean well and it's like a it's ultimately like if you were to look at each individual message like it's a positive message but there's like some it like breaks down too much of the wall between like being strangers and not and makes me really uncomfortable but it's it is technically like part of my job um like I can't open my dms when I'm standing in line at a grocery store because people will ask me specific things like oh I'm you know I'm trying to switch careers and I'm like this sending a DM is so terrible. Like I, I have to be sitting down to like actually give you a, a thoughtful response. Like an email would have been better 
or like talk to someone that you know in real life who like knows your your actual so it yeah. just it overwhelms me because I'm like I feel a very big responsibility of like not giving someone the wrong piece of advice and that it overwhelms me that it's coming in like it's this direct it's a direct message it's coming in directly to me and I don't pay someone to like answer dms or respond to comments and I feel a very heavy weight on my shoulders every day it's like make sure I'm not pissing someone off. Like, did I accidentally open a message and not respond? And now they think I'm just a bitch for not responding. And it's like, Oh God, like I didn't, it's not that I didn't mean to not respond. It's you were one of 6,000 messages I got today. I'm trying my best. Yeah. Like you my phone see... free time is out of control and it's a, I follow 40 people. I'm not like scrolling through Instagram all day. I'm like answering DMs all day. And people ask like real questions and I want to, do my best to respond like in the best way, but it can be a lot of pressure. You get emotional about it. Yes. And I'm also like, legally, I don't want to be like on the line for giving someone like bad advice. I'm like, there's it's at the end of the day, like I'm personally telling someone something like I don't want to be the person that like makes someone quit their job prematurely, or I don't want to make someone be the one who like feels like their life is worthless. Cause I didn't respond to them about their breakup in a timely manner. I'm like, there's just responsibility with that. And I almost wish like every single DM came with a disclaimer, like I'm sending this, you know, from a phone. I don't know you personally. I'm going to try to give you the best advice. Like you really need to speak to a psychologist (laughs) or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So you already mentioned that you would love to sit down with Instagram and kind of be an advisor to them to help other what the way that you said it made it sound like it's not just that you want to help other influencers like you, but you want to be able to help these audiences also have healthier relationships with influencers and like for all of us to, to be happy in the end. It's even beyond like an influencer status, because frankly, I feel like anyone who's on Instagram with a public Instagram account is perceptible to any of these issues. And there are just things that should be done to, better protect everyone. And they're a company who also has that responsibility to people. And I feel like sometimes it falls short and it can seem like, oh, well, this is just like such a small thing. But I think the ramifications of everything is actually, they're quite large and can have like profound effects on an entire generation. Like why are we the most connected ever, you know, as a society because we can talk to anyone at any time. Like, I have no idea where you guys even are in the world. And we're on Skype together, like looking at each other and having a conversation. But why are we also at the same time, like the loneliest generation? Like, where's that? That disconnect is coming from these like lack of tools. And everyone just kind of dove into this and didn't really learn. I, I actually read this. It was an article in the Times for parents about screen time for kids. And it was such a good analogy just for life in general. It was basically saying like using a phone is kind of like your diet and you can use your phone. Everyone has to use their phone pretty much every, you know, in, if you're in like modern society with like a normal job, you can have a healthy balanced diet or you could be eating complete junk and ruining your health. Or you could be on the opposite end where you're like now addicted to like drugs. (laughs) I was talking about like how people need to talk about their phones as part of a healthy diet and that you need to avoid these like other extremes and that it doesn't mean that you need to like throw your phone into an ocean and say peace because there, there are ways that you can use phones to be like to call your grandma if you haven't seen her in a while or like talk to your parents but that that isn't the only thing that you should be relying on. And I just feel like it's lost because so many people are truly addicted. (laughs) So the question that I was going to ask you was like, if you have predictions about where you think we're headed in like the next five or 10 years, but I'd also love to hear like, ideally what you would change or is there anything that you see? Like if you were going to have a meeting with Instagram, like, would you have any suggestions for them or more of just like feedback and your experiences? I think unfortunately where I see things headed is 
people moving towards like quick content and cheap content. And I don't mean like cheap in terms of like production value, but like cheap in terms of what are you actually getting value wise from this? Like I pull up TikTok and I'm like, I get that this is like the next platform, but it's such a dumb content type of content and YouTube at least like you can learn stuff from YouTube and like yeah there's like cat videos and like baby shark on loop videos but you're also getting like access to lectures at Harvard or you can have a fourth grader go on and learn how to do that common math problem that you don't know how to do as a parent like there is a benefit from that and I just hope that people don't just slip into like what's easy and what's going to make money. And I think we've seen it happen with journalism over the past decade where now it's about like how many, what headline is going to get the most clicks. And it's not about what the content is. Journalism isn't objective anymore. It's almost all opinion based. And the people that are on TV on the news are people with the biggest opinions it's not like I'm a reporter and I'm just going to report on what's happening. And I hope that that doesn't happen in social media, but I feel like it's already happening basically. Like you see it on Facebook with like the fake news thing and people are sharing headlines. They're not clicking and even reading what's in the, what they're sharing. Um, and that can be very dangerous <laughs> for society, um, let alone like mental health. And then, I think in terms of like Instagram, one, I think there's got to be a better way to organize that newsfeed. Like, why is it just one continuous scroll? And like, there's got to be a way to group people. So you're not just seeing like everyone all at once. Like I want to be able to follow brands, but like have them in a separate category. Um, it's not Instagram. It's not what it was invented for. And so I think they have to be able to like up the platform itself, like hasn't really changed in terms of how it works, like feed wise or like UX wise. And it kind of just has to catch up with like how it's changed. I don't know what that is. I don't think the scrolling left and right thing that they like that flop. <laughs> That's six minutes it. that it was up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but something along those lines of like, how is this content being consumed and how can people better organize and filter what they are seeing and what they don't want to see and, like, why do I, when I go on my explore page, I'm getting these like videos that for sure I've never clicked on anything that would lead me to that. And all of a sudden I'm getting served just like ridiculous clickbaity videos. And like, I have no interest. Right. It limits the platform like for your, for possibilities for you because it's not providing you any value. It's just like cheap content. Like I get that sex sells, but is that what should be in like a 13 year old's hands when they're scrolling through Facebook or Instagram really, they're not even on Facebook, but scrolling through Instagram real quick, like on the way to their fourth period, you know? Right. No. And I think they tried to make, you know, an, an attempt with, you know, adding the, you're all caught up feature. So yeah. it, it's like, but I, I, it, I don't know about you. It doesn't, it doesn't stop me. I still have this mentality of like, well, maybe there was something that I missed. I'm going to keep scrolling. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like, but it, it constantly like feeds that anxiety of, of, to your point, the never ending scroll, um, yeah. and which is not healthy. Constant dopamine hits. I mean, it's like an actual literal chemical in your brain addiction and you're not getting it anywhere else in real life because nothing in real life is that instant can't match it and so people can't find that in their life and then they're experiencing loneliness and depression in real life because they're not getting this like dopamine hit that they've created in this like online world and it's sick but like in my head I like have this visualization of like my business and this like virtual world that exists in a different <laughs> thing than my regular life you know yeah but I think it's also fair to say that the content that you're producing does match what you almost hoped your or what you almost hope that the digital world is. It gives people a place to pause, to learn, to be invested, to slow down, which we really don't get that opportunity in our regular digital society. 
And that is where I see the positive side of it. Cause I, I think that it, you can talk about the negatives like until you're blue in the face, but there is a positive element that I just don't think should be overlooked in that it can allow someone, a kid who's sitting in Kansas to connect with, they could, you know, take a master class or watch this video from Teen Vogue in New York City and have their entire world open up. Or someone who goes to a school with 50 kids and they're the only person in the LBGTQ community, but through Instagram, they actually have access to more of a community that they don't have in this in their personal life. And so there's a hundred infinite ways that it can be a positive. I think it's up to... I think it's like really your responsibility as anyone creating content for this platform, whether you're a high school student yourself or you're a big influencer or you're a politician, like how are you using this platform for good? And like, are you being the example that you wish other people would also live up to? And like, I want to be really open about talking about going to therapy and talking about my meditation journey and talking about working out and talking about, you know, cooking a healthy meal talking about learning French or talking about like trying this new hobby. Like recently I like moved, I moved to the suburbs and I was talking about how I like joined a tennis clinic and I started doing this needlepoint thing and I was going to a book club and I was joining a new gym and people were like blown away that I was rooting myself in my community. I was like, these things are important to me. Like I want to be physically active. I want to be connecting with women my own age that doesn't have to do with drinking or, you know, our boyfriends happen to be friends from high school. Like I want to actually connect with people and learn new things while I'm doing it. It was like taking French lessons and it doesn't even, it's not even like that any of those specific things like cost a lot of money. Like they're all pretty accessible, especially like with the internet, like you can learn these things for free essentially. Like these are things that are important to me and that I hope other people see me doing it and realize that it's something that they should be, you know, if they have that hole in their life that they should also be seeking. We'd like you to answer every question from here on out in French, by the way, <laughs> just to well, see how good you've gotten at this. I will say I'm like, it's much harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and I'm not a language person. And I took Spanish in high school and college. And I didn't even think I knew that much Spanish, but now that I'm learning French and I know all the words in Spanish, I'm like, I know so much more Spanish than I gave myself credit for, <laughs> but it's fun. Yeah. That's awesome. Glad you're enjoying that. I'm hearing like so much passion in your voice as you're talking about just your thoughts on, on social media in general and like, and health. Do you see yourself ever? I mean, I, I feel like I'm seeing you as someone in the future who could be like a leader in the space for having healthy online habits. Have you ever thought about something like that? I just feel like you have so much to share on, on the topic. I have so much to say about it. The problem is right now, and like, this is going to sound so like, I hope it doesn't sound like super weird, but I am like super passionate about a lot of things. And I, my biggest problem right now is I just like don't have enough time or bandwidth to do everything I want to do. And it's like a good problem to have. I'd much rather be like super passionate about a lot of things and versus being bored in my life. Uh, but I definitely feel pressured that I, there's just like a million things I want to do. <laughs> I'm like, I just need to find time to do it. <laughs> definitely relate to that. Um, and I feel like Steve gets to hear an earful from me about like, I'm going to do this now. I'm going to do this now. Or like, we should do this now. So, yeah. I try to just totally like do that. one thing at a time. I'm like, okay, this is going to be the year that I really focus on learning French. And then, you know, add more things as I go. Okay. So we're going to move into our last section, which is just kind of like a rapid fire. If you want it to be, if you want to elaborate more, you're totally welcome to. Um, all right. So first question favorite social platform? Uh, Goodreads. Oh, I like that answer. Off the board. I appreciate <laughs> that. On that note, a book that you've read recently that you couldn't put down. Um, I listened to it as an audiobook, but Chanel Miller's Know My Name. I haven't it, heard of that one. It's She was the um, Stanford swimmer rape victim and she wrote her victim statement as Emily Doe and this is like her book 
as herself. It is, it's the best. I read like almost 60 books this year and it's hands down the best book I read this year. Okay. We'll definitely link up to that. And we'll also link up to you also have an Instagram, like a bookstagram account, right? Yeah. Okay. We will, we will add that as well. Um, what keeps you up at night? Right now, I, it's like, okay, the thousand things I have to do. Like I just run through my to-do list for the next day. I'm like, I didn't get enough done today and I need to get even more done tomorrow. What do you wish that you were better at? French. (laughs) (laughs) My French pronunciation, for sure. Something to work towards. Um, Best piece of advice you've ever received? Um, You can't be everything for everyone. Person you trade places with for a day? My dogs. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like they have a great life. I think I would probably say the same thing. That's that's not your dogs. Any dog. To be honest with Any dog. Um, although I'm sure yours are great too. Um, and then finally, how do you define success? I think I define success as feeling good about the decisions I'm able to make. Like I can't control everything that's going on in my life, but of the things that I can control, did I make a good choice for that day? And like start again tomorrow. And still decide, okay, that I can't control these nine out of 10 things, but the one thing that I can't control, did I make a good choice? This was really awesome. We appreciate you so much taking the time to do this. Obviously, we know that you're really busy and you're being pulled in a million directions. So um, I think our audience is really going to love all of the insights that you shared. And again, I think it was just really fun for us to be able to like talk to someone else who's like as into all of this stuff as we are. So. I know I can like really nerd out <laughs> on it. <laughs> that's the best, that's the best guest that we can ask for. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode, help us spread the word on social media, tag us at pod for creatives and let us know what stood out to you. And she's at, and she's just at Carly. Who do you think you'd have to fight to get? Who do you think has at Steve? Do you think it's someone famous or not someone famous? Well, let's look it up. Hold <laughs> on. I'm going to look up on Twitter. Hold on. All right. And I'll look up the Instagram. Be a bitch if it was like available. <laughs> He's a network engineer. He got at Steve. Oh. He joined Twitter March of 2007, which makes a lot of sense. So at Steve on Instagram. <laughs> He's just a guy. Yeah, we're all just guys. Who takes pictures of trees and inspiration, Move Me Brightly, is his profile. He has like 4,000 followers. Not verified. So maybe you could get it. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Are you posting it on the podcast account or your account? My account. Did you do anything? I thought you usually handle the podcast thing. You you go back and take the screenshot. All right. I'll, I'll do the screenshot. That's all right. You look fine in this one. You look very I like. I trust you. <laughs> Here, can you see yourself? Yeah, that's all right. I've seen worse. Yeah. Did you tag didn't even, me? Didn't even Tell do anything. Tell me you tagged for me. me in I that. didn't tag you. Yeah. Oh my god. I tagged the podcast account. Thanks I'm sorry. A was lot. I supposed to? Oh, <laughs>